do. Luke chapter number 13 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, "...there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices." Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I am come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, Thou shalt cut it down. Let's read those last two verses once more. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Father, I pray that you bless now the preaching of your word. We thank you for the dawning of a new year, new opportunities, Lord, new privileges and new responsibilities. We pray that you help us this morning to enter into your gates with praise and your presence with thanksgiving. Lord, to come before you keen and and eager to worship. Lord, to have you deal in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that the Holy Ghost would have liberty this morning to speak to the hearts of the people that are here. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish in them that which is beyond me and any other person to do. Lord, to work in the innermost workings of the heart. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you this morning, and we thank you for loving us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I went back through my notes and, and records, I found that I've, it's not been very long since I have preached on this passage. But you know, at the New Year's season, it, it's hard to not be thinking about concepts such as life and death and time. Really, in a material sense, there's nothing different of today as opposed to yesterday. The sun rose on January 1st the same as the sun rose yesterday. The sun will set, Lord willing, tonight in the same way that it sat last night. To my knowledge, there's the same. There might not be the same number of minutes of daylight, but there's the same number of minutes in the day and hours during the day. But we have set aside this time as we roll over the calendar year, And it is not only a time that uh, we might mark and note the revolution of the sun and and, and the earth around the sun and so on, but we've also culturally, societally, we have set it aside as a time to sit back and reflect and think about what this last year has been. Also, I think we also recognize it as a time where we might look forward and consider what this next year might be. I think it's fitting, and I don't. I think it's every seven years, I believe, that uh, the days of the week, as they coincide with the calendar, rotate. And so it would have been seven years ago that we would have been meeting together in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. But you know, it's fitting that this New Year's Day should be a Sunday. I think as we live in a day, and we do live in perilous times. Somebody say Amen to that. I think it's important that seeing that the days are evil that we be mindful that we're redeeming the time and living in a way God would have us to. 
I've read this parable to you, and I read the first five verses of the chapter, and we will reference them here in a moment. But I want to spend a few minutes talking about the parable that our Lord tells of this man that had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And for three solid years he came and sought fruit on this fig tree. And he reaches what we might call a classical crisis point where a decision is being made. He has come for three years. There's been no fruit. For three years, there's been no progress. It's not that this thing, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's not that this thing is dying. It's just that it ain't producing anything. And so finally, he makes the decision. He says, I'm done with it. I'm tired of it taking up space. And he tells the person that works in his venue, he said, just cut this thing down. Why cumbereth it the ground? But our Bible tells us that in mercy, the person that is working the vineyard looks at the Lord of the vineyard and said, Lord, give it just one more year. One year to do something worth doing. One year to produce something worthwhile and something that warrants its existence. Can I just present this to you this morning? You know, we may have many more years on this earth. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, and the Bible's not a crystal ball, by the way. Amen? Uh, I can say two things about that. One, the Bible is not meant to be a crystal ball, but it's more accurate than anybody ever could have guessed or hoped. But it's not meant to be a crystal ball. It's not meant to tell you what day that you're going to leave this world and enter into eternity upon. But by the same token, while I cannot tell you whether we'll make it this next year, I can tell you this, nobody in this room can tell us otherwise either. The fact is, this next year, 2017, it could be the worst year in your life. You do not know. It could be the greatest year in your life. You don't know. Mark it down, though. While it's not your first year, it could also be the very last year in your life. You see, the truth is, we have no greater promise of time than this fig tree had. In fact, we have less of it. And I want us to notice a few simple thoughts concerning this fig tree and try to apply them to our lives today. And I want to ask you this. Could it be that God is giving us as a nation and us as a church and us as an individual just one more year to live for Him and to do something worth doing? I want you to notice first off the problem that this fig tree had. It was basically a threefold problem with this fig tree. Now, I want to tell you something. There's nobody in this room this morning thinks this message is for them. Nobody. Nobody. Everybody may say, well, it might be their last year. But it ain't going to be my last year. There ain't nobody in this room, I would promise you, while, while none of us would claim perfection, I hope, none of us in this room would also claim that our life is probably in horrible, miserable disrepair. Now, maybe you would if you, if you do, if, and if you would, I want to tell you there's hope in Jesus Christ this morning. But my, my suspicion is probably, as I preach this message, there's going to be a real temptation of the flesh to say, Preacher, that's good. You preach at them, preacher. When the fact is, we should really all be examining our own lives. Because when I see this fig tree, I see three basic problems with it. And it, it, it's reflective, I think, of some of the problems that we see in our lives daily. I want you to notice the first problem with this fig tree was that it was beautiful, but it was barren. The Bible says for three years, look at what it says back in verse uh, number 7. It says, Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that at a distance, nothing would seem wrong with this fig tree. 
I mean, I'll just be honest with you. You don't go. If you were to go, we didn't get our uh, garden plowed up for, for next year yet. I ain't the man with the tractor. My daddy is, so you, you can tell him he's lazy next time you see him. You need to tell him next time you see him, you need to say, hey, you need, you need to get things together and go plow that boy's garden. That's what you need to tell him, okay? But if you were to go to my garden, we still have the skeletons of uh, some okra and some pepper plants. Everything else we had cut down already. But it's pitiful. I'm going to be honest with you. It depresses me to look at it. Because I remember that garden in its glory, you know, six, eight months ago. I remember when we had planted everything and it was growing and the weeds hadn't took over yet. And, buddy, I mean, that garden was just as clean and as smooth. You couldn't see a blade of grass. Everything looked wonderful. Squash plants, big as elephant ears. And everything was just exactly like you. And now you look at it and it's just pitiful. It's grassed over. I done mowed the garden four or five times. Amen. Some of y'all at garden know what I'm talking about. I done mowed it four or five times. I mean, all the tomato plants are gone, all the beans are gone, the squash is gone, and there's just a few skinny old stalks of dead okra up through there and a few rotten skinny old pepper plants laying there. And it's sad to look at. It really is. It encourages me to know we can plow it all up and do it over again next year. Amen? Isn't it good to know, no matter how pitiful our life is, that there's new beginnings with Jesus Christ? But to look at it right now, it looks pitiful. I promise you, there's not been a single time in at least two months that I have walked out of my back deck and looked at that garden and said, you know, I think I'm going to go pick the garden today. You could tell at a distance that it was dead. You could tell at a distance there was nothing living. You could tell at a distance it wasn't producing anything. Can I say that that's not how this fig tree would look? Let me tell you who you think this message is for today. Are you ready? You think this message is for the people that's out of church right now. You think this message this morning is for the people strung out on dope right now. You think this message is for the folks that are nursing a hangover on this New Year's Day. But the reality is, that's not who this message is for. This message is for the people that's in this room. You'd look at their life and everything would look appropriate and in order and presentable. There'd be no reason that you would from a distance see anything wrong. But upon closer inspection, you learn that while it might be beautiful, there's nothing living there. Let me tell you, one of the great tragedies of today, of this generation of the New Testament church, is we have learned so keenly how to pretend like we're walking with God. We know how to shout. We know how to amen. We know how to pray in public. We know how to quote Bible verses. And all the while, we're as far from God as we could possibly be. We're beautiful, man. There's nothing, if you look at it, that would be wrong. But upon closer inspection, and by the way, only the Lord of the vineyard could really do the proper inspection. Can I I tell you this this morning? You may be all right with me, but I don't mean you're all right with God. You might be able to come into the house of God. You might be able to to work and and minister and serve. and, and, And everybody might look at you and say, hey, they're all right. Everything's fine with them. They're in church. They're faithful. They're reading their Bible. But God can look at the inside. Hey, we can look at the leaves, but God can look at the life and tell whether there's anything real there. So you may be able to fool me, but the Lord of the vineyard, He knows what's in your heart. He knows where you're at spiritually. I think the first problem is this thing was beautiful, but it was barren. Let me say number two, that it was living, but it was lacking. You know, if, if this thing had been dead, then after the first year, when he come back, it would look like my poor garden does. This thing was living. There was life coursing through it. But that life did not produce anything. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. This, I think, is probably going to be the most instructive thing that we say this morning. One of the great tragedies of us today is we've learned how to just maintain a Christian walk 
without ever growing in a Christian walk. We think we're doing good if we've not got plumb over in the ditch and wrecked our lives from January to January. But can I tell you something? God expects more out of me and you. God, I, listen, I know my, my preacher growing up, he used to always hate when we'd sing the song, Hold the Fort. I like the song, amen? Hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus. You know, but he, he used to bug him, man. And, and you'd almost you'd have to know him because he was just tenacious in life and tenacious in ministry. And he'd always say, hey, we ain't supposed to be holding the fort. We're supposed to be storming the fort. Somebody say amen to that. We're not supposed to be in a holding pattern. I mean, listen, I know we're to occupy till Jesus comes, but that doesn't mean that we're supposed to sit around and do nothing. It means we're supposed to grow in our Christian wall. Listen, we ought to be praying more today than we were praying January 2016. We ought to be witnessing more today than we were 12 months ago. If all we're doing is just living, then you know what it says, why cumbereth at the ground? And that's the problem, you know. I think we've got such low expectations. And that's, that's, a, that's a symptom of the world we live in today. Can I say that, that the world operates at the capacity of simply doing whatever is required to survive and no more? One of the greatest pieces of advice my daddy ever told me when we was growing up is he said, Son, there's people in this world that make a living out of seeing how little they can do. And you know that's true. If you've ever worked in a public workplace, you know that that's true. God help me to not be that way. God help you to not be that way. But that's the reality. And that seems to be the whole measure of life. I mean, I, you know, I've given this illustration before, but go through a drive-thru sometime. Have you ever seen the picture of the, the hamburger that they have on the window? Have you ever seen that? That ham, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but that hamburger does not exist. Never, ever. It, it doesn't exist. It, it's, it's the figment of an artist's imagination. That hamburger has never been created. You look at that thing and it looks beautiful, man. I mean, that meat patty is that thick. Well, they don't realize that they've got it like magnified a thousand times just to make it look that big. That slab of bacon is almost as thick as the hamburger patty. That lettuce is so beautiful and perky and vibrant. I mean, listen, it looks like it just rolled off of an iceberg out of the North Pole. It just looks crisp and cold and beautiful. Everything, all the ketchup and the mustard is just painted like it's with Da Vinci's brush. I mean, it's on there just exactly like it's supposed to be. And, and the hamburger you get is the hamburger. It was that hamburger before it got kicked to death in a back alley. You get that thing and it looks atrocious, man. I mean, the, the, you, you can hold the meat patty up and see through it. <laughs> Who was it? It was Al Brace. One day we was coming in for something. I can't remember what it was. I think it was a work day or something. And Al was so mad. He's in the flesh. He don't mind me telling him that. But he was in the flesh. He was so angry. And he said he went through a drive-thru and got like a, like a bacon egg or sausage egg or something. He said you could hold the egg up and see through it. <laughs> We've all been there. You know, I, I, I mean, just absolutely, uh, that, that it, it just doesn't exist. And, you know, you've got some kid back there making, you know, I don't know, eight fifty an hour, $9 an hour, whatever, and he don't care, and he's just throwing things together. And now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying, listen, if, if I was working that job, I'd probably be the exact same way. But I'm just merely saying that in life in general, that's kind of the standard. You know what I mean? I mean, we could just get by is all that it takes. And it's infected us as church members, as the body of Christ. We have the same philosophy. If I can just make it to church, occasionally read my Bible, if I can just maintain, that's all that's needful. But i got news for you. God expects more out of me and you. This thing is an extra mile thing. Somebody say amen to that. Not one mile, but twain. That's what God expects out of me and you. This thing was living 
but it was lacking. And, you know, I see a third problem with it, a last problem with it before we get to the bulk of the message. I see that this thing was beautiful, but it was barren. It was living, but it was lacking. And finally, I see that it was present, but it was pointless. You know what he said? He said, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and findeth none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? What good is it doing? All it's doing is taking up space. That's all it's doing. I wonder if people might say that. I wonder if God might say that about our Christian walk. Listen, I'm glad for every person that's here today. I, I, I love you more than Larry does. Larry, Larry said this morning, if, if you're uh, church members, you're expected, and if you're uh, visitors, then you're welcome. Amen. I guess that means if you're a church member, you ain't welcome around here. That's what he was saying. But, you know, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here on a New Year's Day. I know there's other places you can be. But, but when, it, when are we going to get to the place where we quit giving people participation trophies when it comes to serving God? God bless you for being here. I'm glad you're here. I'd rather you be here than not. But what are you doing here? What are you doing with your life? Are you just taking up space on a pew? Now, you can look around. You can see we ain't hurting for pew space on this Sunday morning. But is that all you're doing? Is the sum total of your testimony when you get to heaven just going to be present? And that's all you've got to say. That's how a lot of people view life. That's how a lot of people view Christianity. I've got my ticket. I'm on my way out. I don't care what happens. i got news for you. This life that God's given us is a precious, precious thing. We ought not waste or squander any even moment of it. We ought to be dedicated. We ought to be passionate. What happened to the passion? Man, there was a time in the New Testament church, and I'm not talking about 2,000 years ago. I'm not talking about the day after Pentecost. I'm talking about 20, 30 years ago when, when you didn't have to beg folks to serve God. When folks were just willing, man, they knew their time was precious. They wanted to invest it in eternal things, not squander it away. But now the sum total of our testimony when it comes to serving God, present, and that's all. i got news for you. God expects more out of you and me than that. God didn't give you 2017, however much of it you get. God didn't give that to you for you to just be present. God gave it for you so that you could be purposed. So that you could serve Him and live for Him and do for Him. And so the, the fellow that's dressing the vineyard, he looks at the Lord of the vineyard and he says this. Boy, I'm glad Jesus says this for us. He says, look, I know he looks bad, but I think I can do something with him. Aren't you glad that God deals with us in grace? Because <laughs> let me tell you something. We people say, well, I just wish life was fair. No, you don't, neighbor. I just wish God was fair. No, you don't. Because if God was fair, we'd be snuffed out before we could even count a moment. That's what we deserve. God doesn't deal with us in justice. God dealt with Jesus in justice so that He might deal with us in, in grace and in mercy and in love, that He might be both just and the justifier of them that come unto Him. And so the, the dresser says of the, of the plan, says, give it just one more year. One more year. I want to give you three simple thoughts. No subpoints, just three simple thoughts this morning about what this year was to this fig tree. What did it mean? What did this dresser intend and expect for this fig tree over these next few months? And I want you to consider 2017 and ask yourself if this could be said about your life and mine. Let me say, number one, that this next year for the fig tree was to be a time of patience. Patience. The verdict had already been passed. The decision had already been made. But in mercy, he was given just one more year. The Lord of the vineyard already said, cut it down. 
But God dealt in patience with this fig tree the way God deals in patience with you and me. Patience is the godly, earnest expectation of something soon to pass. It is, the, uh, it is waiting in the Spirit, right? That's what patience is. Patience is waiting in the Spirit. And in patience and mercy... The dresser of the vineyard gives one more year to this. You know, I read the first five verses, and that was not by accident. It wasn't just to take up space or to take up time. I want us to look at them again, because there's a context. Amen? Listen, content is important, and context is just as important as you study your Bible. You'll find that as you study the parables of the Lord Jesus and the miracles, that there is always a context within which that parable or miracle fits, a framework with which it is presented. And what was the context of this parable? Look back at verse number 1. It gives us a little bit of, of the scene before. It says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, other than this mention, uh, this, this instance, this uh, portion of history is lost to Scripture. It's not told us. But uh, so history would tell us that Pilate had, uh, had killed, had slaughtered some Galileans. Uh, presumably, that he thought they were going to uh, provide and foment insurrection against his authority. And so he had slain them one day when they were uh, offering sacrifices. Look down at verse number 4. It says, Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell uh, and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. He also points to something else that happens, only found here in Scripture, uh, that uh, evidently a, a structure, a building had crumbled down, had fallen down upon these 18 men and had slain them. And people were wondering about it. They had the same question most people have when something bad happens. Well, is that the judgment of God? Most church people, let's be honest, most church people, that crosses your mind. And I hope we got enough spirituality to not try to make that decision, because that's what Jesus points to here in the next moment. But he asks this simple question. He says, listen, I know you're thinking about these people. Do you think that happened because they were bad people? Imagine if that was the story of 2017. Well, in fact, we could look back over 2016. It's funny because everybody, all these, all these uh, liberals are losing their mind because all these popular figures are dying in 2016. And people are saying, oh, 2016 is killing everybody. It's the worst year ever. I'll be honest. I, I mean, I don't really give a rip about most of those people. Amen. And I'm not trying to be cynical. I know they had a soul. I know that they, they're in eternity somewhere. But I'm just saying, there's people I know that I've lost in this past year that bothers me a lot more. But people say, oh, well, 2016's killing everybody. No, i got news for you. It ain't that 2016's killing everybody. It's that we're getting old. And old people die, right? All these people were old. Amen. And uh, they may have not died of natural causes. But, you know, I mean, at what point... You know, nobody dies from just, I got so old, I just disintegrated. I mean, something kills everybody. And, uh, but, you know, everybody's just losing their mind over these people and saying, oh, how tragic and oh, how awful. No doubt you could look back over people that you've been close to and cared about and loved that you've lost over the past year. You may look at life, uh, lives that are in pieces right now and say, boy, God has judged them heavily. But you know what Jesus' message is? He says, no. You think this happened to them because they're so awful. That's not why it happened. You think this happened because they were so... No, that's not why it happened. He says, I tell you, nay, except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. You know, the reality is this. The fact that you and I woke up on this January 1st of 2017, the fact that we drew a breath into our lungs that our eyes open is only by the mercy of God. You say, preacher, I can't die in 2017. I've got too much I want to do. You think you're the first person that death interrupted their plans? 
Preacher, I can't die in two. I mean, that's not going to happen to me. I'm young. You think you're the first young person to die? You've heard me say it a thousand times, but let me just remind you again, the first funeral I ever did was of a 75-day-old infant. I was just reading the... and, and uh, They sent it out in the letter. I don't think they'll mind, but I was just reading as I was sitting up there. Announcements were being made. A mission uh, letter from uh, our missionaries, the Vandenherks. Most of you that are around here and you've heard us, we've mentioned, we've already announced that they uh, were, were expecting a child. And they had been praying and asking God. And at 33 weeks, that child passed away. And uh, was just reading the heartbreak and sorrow and tragedy uh, in the letter, you can just, it, it almost drips from the page. You can sense it. And I, I don't think they intend it that way, but just maybe it's me empathizing. I don't know, but there's just a sorrow that is, that is dripping from, from that mission's letter. Uh, listen, death does not wait for a man to turn a certain age. And I'm going to tell you something. I, in my opinion, now I'm not God, and I'm not saying God's unfair, but in my human thinking, the most unfair thing I know of that happened in 2016 was the loss of that child. I can't understand it. This young couple off on the mission field serving God, left family, left friends in a place that, that I mean, listen, they, uh, she has some family, but they don't want to be there. They'd rather be here. Uh, it would be more comfortable to be here. I mean, they, they spent five years on the road raising money, deputation money. They didn't want to have to do that, but they've sacrificed. They've gone over there. They're witnessing to people. They're trying to win people to Christ. They're ministering, pastoring a local church. They prayed and they begged God, I promise you, there's probably not been much more of a prayed for baby in this country or in any other country than that baby right there. They beg God for it. And all of a sudden, it's just take it. Just take it. That's not fair. At least it doesn't seem that way to me. But here's the problem. And I want you to listen carefully. We look at life through terms of probability and not through terms of providence. We look at life through terms of probability and we say, well, what are the chances? And that's not fair. And why did that happen to me? Here's the question I've got for you. How are, you going to be, how are you going to tell me it's fair for you and I to walk the next 365 days of this year and for that little baby to be taken on home to heaven without ever getting a chance to live this life? Oh, sure, you look at it and say, well, the drunkard, he deserves. Well, the dope addict, he deserves. Well, the, the fornicator, they deserve. i got news for you. Those aren't the only people that are taken out of this world too soon. And, and, and let me just say this. It'd be more fair for God to take me than it was for God to take that baby. In my understanding, in my thinking, in my mind, but the reality is life doesn't work by probability. It works by providence. You say, preacher, I'm going to have plenty of time. You don't know that. God would not be unjust to take you out of this world. I promise you, you could, you could take a snapshot of any one month out of our lives, and we've done plenty enough right in that month for God to send us to hell for all of eternity. But God is being patient with you and me. This is a day of mercy. This is a day of mercy. In fact, the Bible says the Lord's mercies are new every morning. This is a day of mercy. You don't deserve this year. I don't deserve this year. But God has been merciful in giving us time. I believe this is a time of patience. But let me say number two. Not only was this a time of patience for this fig tree, but it was also a time of probation. God had given him another year, but guess what? Listen, I don't want to misrepresent the nature of God and His sovereignty. But can I just say that God gave that that a year, but there was coming a time when a reckoning would happen. God was watching this fig tree. God was paying attention to what was going on in the, in the life of this fig tree. Again, I've already told you, everybody in this room, nobody in this room thinks this message. I hope by now somebody does. Amen. I hope by now somebody's opened their heart and let the Holy Ghost of God start stomping around in there and taking inventory. But when we started this message, I promise you, nobody in this room thought this was for them. But can I just remind you this morning, 
that God is watching our lives. That should provide us comfort, but that should also provide us a determination to live for the Lord that always sees us. I'm always reminded when I come to passages like this, I think about Hagar. Hagar by that well, Beer Lehoi, Lehoroi, excuse me. She's by that well, and God meets with her, and she names that place, God that seest me. And don't you know that changed her entire life? I know the story of Ishmael. I know the story of, of the Arabs. I know the story. I, but don't you know that that made an impact on her? She said, Thou God seest me. Don't you know it changed her life to know that God was paying attention to her life and to her. i got news for you. There is a clock. Some of y'all say, he finally figured it out. Amen. No, there is a clock. There is a time frame. There is a timetable. Every person in this room has a shelf life, has an expiration date. We don't know how much time that we have left, but I do promise you this, that this is a time in which God is watching how we respond to His mercies and to His grace. You know, if we had the perspective on death that God had, it'd be quite different. I, I, I'm around death all the time as a pastor. I, I, I'm in homes when people die. I'm at hospitals when people die. I'm at, I, I'm at funeral homes afterwards and ministering to the family. I, death is sort of just an ever-present reality when you're a pastor. And I tell you this, death is always, I believe, or most of the time, we have a different perspective than Scripture and than God does. We look at death as though it's the worst thing possible. But God views death as being a precious thing, at least the death of his saints. Now, what the psalmist said, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Paul described it this way. He said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. In fact, he said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. He said, I don't even know if I want to live. And it ain't because I'm depressed. It's just because I'm excited about heaven. Amen. And that's how God views death as being something, not, not an end, not the period, but the, the comma, not, not the wall, not the end of the road, but the doorway into his blissful presence. And so let me just say this, God's not as afraid of death as most of us are. I believe, and I'll give you a for instance, Ananias and Sapphira, that God struck dead. And God did strike them dead. You can try to read that passage any way that you want, but God struck them dead because they lied to the Holy Ghost. But I believe it goes a step further. I don't believe it was just that they lied to the Holy Ghost. I believe when they learned to lie to the Holy Ghost, God knew that their usefulness was done. I believe God looked at Ananias and Sapphira and said, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? I wonder how close God is to looking at your life and mine and saying, cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Preacher, God wouldn't do that to me. If you understood heaven, you'd realize God's not doing you any harm other than to rob you of the opportunities that He had previously bestowed upon you. If you're saved by the grace of God, here's what I'm saying. If you're saved by the grace of God, there is a line you can cross. There is a time that can be run out. There is a clock that can end. There is a place you can reach where you're doing more damage to the cause and name of Christ than you are glory and purpose to the name and cause of Christ. And at that point, God has no motivation to leave you in, leave you in the suffering and sorrow of this world. Paul already said to depart and be with Christ is far better. I know we fear death. We shouldn't. We've been delivered. Those of us that were subject and bondage our whole lifetime in fear of death, we've been delivered, but we all do. That's a reality. We fear the unknown. I was interested. I was reading a commentary, and one fella, I believe it was Charles II, made this statement right before he was about to die. He said, be patient with me, gentlemen. This is the first time I've done this thing. We all fear the unknown. We all fear death. I understand that. 
And as such, let that not be something that haunts our footsteps and that hangs like a dreary shadow over our daily sunshine. Let it be something that drives us and motivates us to make our life something worthwhile. I know it's easy sometimes to get to the place where you always think the preacher's talking about somebody and something else. But every person in this room that's drawn a breath, you have life. Every person that's drawn a breath has opportunity. Every person in here that's drawing a breath will be called into account one day. This life is just a probation period. God's watching the way we're behaving. Listen, I'm not talking about salvation. My salvation's settled forever. I know all that, and you know it too. But I'm saying in regards to our servanthood, the way, what we do for Christ, the worthwhileness of us walking the earth, there comes a place where God says, cut it down, I cumbereth it the ground. I see that this year that is given this victory, it's a time of patience and God's mercy. I see it's also a time of probation and God's monitoring. But can I say to you finally that this next year in this fig tree's life was also a time of possibility as it relates to God's ministry. God wasn't just going to walk away from this fig tree and leave it alone. In fact, the, the dresser said this, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. That's not appealing language to us. I understand that. But if you've ever worked a garden, you know what he means. What he's saying is, I want to loosen the dirt and I want to fertilize it. He's saying, I'll work with it because I believe something can come of it. For three years it had laid barren. (laughs) But the dresser says, I can bring something out of it. For three years it had done nothing. But the dresser says, let me work with it. I can do something worthwhile with it. If you'll just let me work with it. You know what 2017 is? I said it at the beginning of the message. It could be the worst year of your life. It could be the best year of your life. 2017, if God gives you all of it, we could be meeting together next year in the first Sunday of the year. And you have a choice. You can look back over 2017 and say, Boy, I wasted that year. Or you can look back and say, I let God work in my life and do something that I had never had done before. I let God loosen the soul of my hard heart and of my apathy. I let God add the unpleasurable and unpalatable things of life unto my soil, but in doing so, God grew me and drew me closer into His presence and more for His glory. You see, you have a choice. How many times have we heard it said, a clean slate is in front of us? It's funny, man. People sit there. Listen, Haller and Hilton Hill says that, and they give them some kind of local TV award. Preacher gets up and says that. People go, oh, yeah. I got news for you. It's not about dreaming it and doing it. It's not about the power of positive. I'm not anti-Haller and Hill. Amen. I'm not saying that this morning. I'm just saying this. I'm saying Jesus can make something out of your next 365 days. He can. Listen, He can produce life out of it. I mean, who could do that but Jesus? But He can. This is the greatest year of possibility that we've ever had. We have more tools. We have more resources. We have a greater advantage now than we've ever had before in our entire life. And listen, that ain't ain't because of technology. That ain't because of who's president. That ain't because of Congress. That ain't because of culture. That's because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the past years are gone, but the one in front of us is before us. And the same God that brought life out of death before can bring life out of the death of our Christian wall. We'll just let Him. Preacher, what's my choice? Well, you can let him dig about you and dung you, or you can can just be cut down. 
Boy, that's harsh, preacher. Hey, you blame that King James Bible. Don't blame me. If you can find it, if you can draw anything else to that passage, I'd love to hear it. But it looks to me like what God... I'll tell you what God's talking about here. We know He's talking about the nation of Israel, right? We know He's talking about... It, but listen, God has an application to the church age, to you and me today. And that's this, that our time is a privilege, but it comes with responsibilities. What are you going to do with 2017? I'll tell you what you can do today. You can make up your mind that despite where you're at next year, that today you're going to give your heart and life to Christ. That you're not going to be satisfied being beautiful but barren, living but lacking, present, and nothing more, just pointless. But you're going to grow in your spirit. You're going to pray more this year. Listen, if there's any... I'm not a big believer in resolutions. Most of the time they seem to be a waste of time. But I am a big believer in commitments to God. Amen? I don't think it ought to be January 1st be the only time we're making a commitment to God. But January 1st ain't a bad time to do it either. Amen? Say, Lord, I'm going to pray more. Lord, I'm going to hunger for You more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm, I'm going to try to witness more. Lord, I want You to have more of me this year than You had in 2016. Let it alone this year also. Just one more year to do something for the Master of the Vineyard. Oh, what a gracious gift God has given us. What will you do with this next year with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed? As a musician slips to the